Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. But we do want to finish up Proverbs Strong this morning. We're talking all about friends. And... um, just a just a kind of a, by way of introduction, I always try to try to find some sort of image to to kind of capture the the, the spirit of, of the sermon and 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 believe it or not, there, there's not a secret society of sermon pictures. I mean, it's not that you know I don't go to a, a website that, uh, that that's all full of, of sermon pictures and I just uh, just say oh that look, that looks good. I, I do this complicated thing called Google. Um, and so uh, now I will be. I will say sometimes uh, sometimes the search results are, are entertaining. Uh, sometimes they're alarming. And so uh, so so trying to find something to, to illustrate this this phrase this sermon today was was a was a challenge. Um, so I did a real simple Google search for friends for for best friends. I started out with friends, and I ended up with a lot of uh, a lot of pictures of. Of uh, Jennifer Aniston and uh, and and Megan Cox is it no? What's her? Courtney Cox and uh, and and that crew. Um, and then I said, well, maybe I should go to best friends. And so I searched best friends, and and the results changed some. And I got a lot of pictures, mostly of female friendships, just uh, you know, uh, BFFs, I guess, uh, to to use some some text vernacular, and and. Um, but it was all women, and so it seemed odd to have a picture of a bunch of women on this picture on the cover of a slide that says closer than a brother. I mean, I know this is 2021, and that stuff doesn't matter as much as it used to, but I still felt, you know, I need, I need some pictures of, of male friends. And so then I, I, I narrowed my search even more. I searched for male friends, and the results were overwhelmingly feminine-looking men. And I guess it's because, you know, if Foster and I are buddies, we don't just go around and, uh, and take selfies of each other, right? I mean, it's hard to do that and, and look macho, right? Uh, and so, um, so I, I didn't really find a, a lot that I could work with. And, and I, I certainly know Google's algorithm, it, it really doesn't favor a Christian worldview. And that, that that simple search for male best friends did not necessarily reveal a... Um, uh, reveal anything specific, but I do think that that I think it's something that we we sort of know anecdotally that we as a society have a very flawed view of strong male friendships. Um, you know uh, that 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 we live in a world today where we need Christian friendships, particularly between between men. Um, you know, women don't have a problem making lifelong friends and, and that sort of thing, but we need that as, as men today. You know, I frequently tell men in premarital counseling situations to make sure that they like their future wives' friends because their husbands will one day be their friends. Uh, and, and you probably know what I'm talking about here. That's somewhat true. It's also somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But as we begin today, I, I want to particularly speak to the men in the room to consider who it is in your life that helps you walk closer to Jesus? What male friend do you have in your life that helps you walk closer to Jesus? Who is it in your life that can lovingly look you in the eye and tell you that you're being an idiot and you receive it in the spirit of Christian love in which it's intended? Uh, I think we all need somebody like that. They can look us in the eye and say, man, you're just being a, a, a goofball uh, and really truly receive that. Male friendships don't have to be gay. And Christians ought to be leading the way, demonstrating what strong, male, accountable friendships really, truly look like. 
That being said, I want to jump in today in the book of Proverbs, understanding the wisdom of God as it relates to human friendships. Robin Dunbar was a British anthropologist. He hypothesized that human beings can have only about 150 friends. Now, he came up with a very interesting uh, process. He measured the size of brains in primate, other primate circles and determined the size of their social uh, structures and said that based on the size of the human brain, we can only manage about 150 stable social relationships. That number, known as Dunbar's number, is the gold standard for scientists and psychologists who study the dynamic of human relationships. Maybe you think in your own life, do I, can you count more than 150 people that, that, that you can maintain a significant relationship with? Dunbar explained it more informally as this. He said that that number is the number of people that you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happen to bump into them at the bar. Consequently, this means that Baptists can't have any friends. Sorry. Of course, we know that friendship is a complicated thing. And they, we have different seasons in our life that result in different needs when it comes to friendships. Of course, today's common experience is friendship via social media. You, uh, I would challenge you to go look at your Facebook or Twitter or Instagram feed and find out how many quote-unquote friends you have there. Um, which All of this is really an interesting and strange experiment in human nature. In spite of its effectiveness and helpfulness in terms of communicating information, I definitely don't think we're better off as a civilization as a result of social media, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I don't think we're a better people as a consequence of all this. We've become very proficient at sharing stage tidbits of, your li- of our lives with the masses at the cost of real meaningful connections with flesh and blood human beings. I've often wondered in the last few years, had Jesus waited until our day and time to make his appearance, how would he interact with social media? What would Jesus' Facebook page look like had he waited until today? Now, I know some of you are, 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 would say Jesus is, would never have a social media page. Others would say Jesus would use social media because that would be a way of engaging people, engaging masses. That's where the world is. If he, if he, if he hung out with prostitutes and sinners, he would certainly feel comfortable on social media. Amen? Um, <laughs> author Frank Powell thought about this, and he came up with some ideas about how Jesus would handle social media. He said Jesus would engage social media with a purpose, not as a way to pass the time. Think about your own usage. Jesus would engage social media with a purpose and not as a way to pass the time. How many of us who are social media users have found ourselves in a moment of boredom taking out our electronic device and just scrolling through to see what the latest and greatest happenings are in our circles? Jesus would intentionally disengage with social media to engage with his Father. You know, Jesus spent nights alone. He woke up early in the morning at efforts to engage with his father. I don't think Jesus would handle social media any differently. I think he would intentionally step away so that he could spend time with the father. Jesus probably wouldn't feel obligated to respond to every post or comment promptly. He wouldn't allow his presence online to distract him from the presence of God. And I've got a strong conviction that if somebody posted something on social media and Jesus didn't see it, they wouldn't, that, uh, that Jesus would look at him and say, if you need me to know it, you can call me. 
That's something we encounter today where somebody posts some sort of crisis on social media and they get mad because somebody didn't know about it. And just because you don't know about it doesn't mean that, that, uh, that something's wrong. It means that you may not have actually seen it because not everybody spends all day on social media. I think Jesus would, uh, would use social media to complement personal relationships, not replace them. Uh, sometimes we see these digital connections as being a substitute for the real thing, but you look at Jesus' ministry, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't send the, uh, the masses into the world. He worked with 12 people, purposely, intentionally working with those 12 people, narrowed it down to an even smaller group, those first three disciples that were closest to Jesus. Jesus did not use the masses in that way. Eventually, the masses would, of course, uh, be sent out for the Lord, but Jesus spent his time investing in those 12 people. I don't think Jesus would post his most intimate moments on social media. Jesus might use social media to inform people about his next step. Hey, I'm preaching at the, uh, you know, at the Sea of Galilee next week. I'd love to see you out there. You know, maybe that. Um, he might post pictures with his disciples. But you would not find Jesus' most intimate moments on social media. I can imagine Jesus instructing his disciples to leave their phones at the door as they prepared to take Passover. I could see when Jesus washing his disciples' feet would probably look at his disciples and say, let's not post this on Instagram. I really do believe that. And then I also think this. Uh, Jesus would fill his social media profiles with more than just Bible verses. Some of us, that's our, that's our MO on social media. But, but I think Jesus wouldn't limit his, his social media profiles to Scripture alone. I think Jesus would use his social media to, to, to paint a complete picture of God. He would post pictures of wedding celebrations, funny moments, f- thought-provoking questions. And since Jesus didn't have TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, all this is speculation. But it does challenge us to consider how our digital friendships are really, truly, no comparison to the real thing. And so I would encourage you today to look at your digital profile, your digital footprint, and see if it is functioning as a replacement for real-life interaction. Thankfully, HBO found out I was talking about friendship today, and they aired the two-hour reunion of the long-running 90s and 2000s show Friends this week. Has anybody seen it yet? Everybody's afraid to raise their hands right now because you don't know what I'm about to say. I'm certain that Ross and Joey and Chandler and Rachel and Monica and Phoebe have much to teach us about authentic friendships. But I think we might be better off spending some time this morning considering what God has to say about the matter first. So we begin this morning where the best friendship should begin, beginning in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin... But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's an interesting proverb for us to begin this morning, particularly since there's not a lot of context to go on. Again, Proverbs is light on context. We know the general setting of Proverbs written by Solomon and and some of those, those wise people around that time. But in terms of specific context of specific specific Proverbs. It's not like Psalms where you read a Psalm and, and, and Psalm actually tells you why it was written. You know, this was written by King David for this event. This was written for the, uh, you know, it's a Psalm of Ascent. It was written so that when people were climbing the Temple Mount to go to worship, we have specific context. We don't get that in Proverbs. 
But the words matter. That's why Proverbs are so important, because the words do matter. And what we see here in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, is that this is not a prohibition against having many friends or companions. So if you look at this and say, man, I got a lot of friends. You're an outgoing person. You, you don't have a problem. You, you never meet a stranger. You, you're one of those folks. And you think, you think, man, I got a lot of friends. Does is, is Proverbs have a problem with me having a lot of friends? That's not what it's saying here, but instead, it is a cautionary tale. I read this and I think this. It doesn't matter how many friends you've got, but you better make sure you've got the right friend. It doesn't matter how many friends you've got, but you better make sure that you've got the right friend. In the Spurgeon Study Bible, Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, friendship seems as necessary an element of comfortable existence in this world as fire or water or even air itself. A man may drag along a miserable existence in proud, solitary dignity, but his life is scarcely a life. It is nothing but an existence, the tree of being, stripped of the leaves of hope and the fruits of joy. He who would be happy must have friends. And he who would be happy hereafter must, above all things, find a friend in the world to come, in the person of God, the Father of his people. Truth be told, I think this is an element of the divine relationship that we don't often think about. We sing the hymn, of course, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But part of God's redemptive work in us is is he guides us into a friendship with our Creator. Again, we, that's a mind-blowing statement when you stop and say it, that, that the Creator of all heaven and earth, the one who by his very word brought everything we have into existence, the one who, who is sovereign and supreme and, and omnipotent and omniscient, the one who is almost impossible for us to comprehend the, the, the significance of who he is and what he does. This God, our Creator, is drawing us into a friendship with Him. Consider Jesus' words in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus said, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus looks at us and says, you're not my servants, you're my, you're my friends. And that doesn't diminish our role as, as servants of the Lord. But, but he calls us his friends. You can walk out of here today, if you're a Christian today, you can rejoice saying, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. Everybody say that. I'm a friend of God. You're, a friend of the, you're the friend of the divine. Now again, you go back to the Old Testament and that divine friendship was considered a great honor in Exodus chapter 33, 33, verse 11. We find these words about Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. James would reflect on Father Abraham in James chapter 22, verse 23. says, And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of of God. That characteristic of those leading Old Testament saints who, who had that personal, intimate, one-on-one uh, -on -one relationship with the Lord are called God's friends. And you and I are invited into this divine friendship, but it's only made possible through the gospel. You see, apart from the gospel, it's nothing but bad news. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 10 spells it out this way. For if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of, death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We were enemies. I can't think of a, of a more polar opposite of being a friend than an enemy. A friend is somebody, according to you know, the guy at the beginning there that uh, you'll sit down and have a drink at the bar with. Uh, you're not going to do that as for an enemy. Uh, you're not going to have that sort of relationship with an enemy, yet the Bible says that we were enemies apart from Christ. We were enemies, but God has reconciled us through the death of his son. You see, that through the gospel, we've been given access to this friend that Proverbs actually says sticks closer than a brother. See, Proverbs is making a very important point here. Any of y'all get to choose your siblings? Even adopted folks don't get to choose their siblings. They get chosen. They don't get to choose. They don't typically get to choose back. It's, uh, it's, it's usually a, a one-way sort of relationship. Um, you don't get to choose your siblings. I didn't have much say in who my parents were. But you do get to choose your friends. Every one of us. We get to choose our friends unless you're married and then your wife's friends choose your friends. Um, we get to choose our friends. And in Christ, there is a friend who will never leave us or forsake us. There is a friend who will always love us, who will always be honest with us, who will never be reluctant to look you in the eye and tell you the truth, no matter how it, how it sounds. Let me say this and make it very clear. You can be the most influential person on the internet. You can have millions of friends and followers. You can be the life of the party. And Proverbs says you can still come to ruin if you don't possess the singularly most important relationship in life, and that is the friend who is closer than the brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs says you can come to ruin. That literally means to come apart. To, to fall apart. And we even see this today. We see popular people, people who we think are, are above and beyond some of these, these, these things happening. We see people who are, who are influencers in life who, who literally fall apart in front of our very eyes, and many times they do it right on our social media feeds. But there is one who sticks closer than a brother, and he calls us Lord, or we call him Lord, and he calls us his friends. Of course, as we think about friendships, though, it's important for us to define those relationships, particularly as we think about those human friendships. So how do we define friendship? What does the wisdom of Proverbs help us as we look to define friendships? And I want to point out some characteristics of true friendship based on the wisdom that we see in the book of Proverbs. The first thing is this, real friends are faithful. Real friends are faithful. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find, from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs warns us that these relationships, the, this sort of, 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 of loving relationship, it says a faithful man, who can find? These are rare relationships. But you see, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves even in hard times. Even when times are stressed, when the relationship is stressed, a friend is loving. Even when we're being unlovable, a friend 
is faithful. You know, when we find these relationships that exist in life, we ought to treasure them and invest in them. If only we had a model of this sort of friendship. Who in the world could we look to to see what, sort, what this sort of fidelity looks like? Someone who loves us when we're unlovable, someone who loves us in difficult times, someone who loves us when, when our, our attitude stinks. We look to Jesus, and, and we see how Jesus modeled this sort of fidelity with his disciples. They weren't always the most faithful. They didn't always get it right, but Jesus loved them faithfully through the end. John chapter 13, verse 1 actually says this, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Consider this morning in your life, how many friendships have faltered because of a lack of faithfulness on the part of one or both parties. I'm not talking about the same kind of faithfulness we talk about in marriage. In marriage, fidelity means something differently. It means fidelity to a singular person. But in a friendship, we're talking about the kind of faithfulness that allows us to forgive that allows us to look past mistakes and disagreements, that allows us to accept responsibility. How many people in our lives do we have that are like that, that, that will accept us in all of our flaws, who will look past the times we disagree? Real friends are faithful. Secondly, we know that real friends are honest. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says this, Iron sharpens iron, but one man sharpens another. We need to surround ourselves with honest people, not flattering people. We need to surround us with people who will help make us better. Do you ever consider what's actually going on in that proverb? We say it, throw it around a lot. As iron sharpens iron, so iron, so one man sharpens another. But did you ever think about what's actually happening physically in the process of iron sharpening iron? There is friction. There is heat. There is a, in a sense, it's a destructive process. You're taking a piece of metal that has a blunt edge and you're removing the blunt material resulting in a sharpened sword. That's a destructive process, but it's better in the long run. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 6 says this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Listen to that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why would a friend wound you? We don't think about friendship in that capacity. But if you'll think about the, both these verses, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, both these verses are making a point that we needn't miss. True friends, pay close attention, True friends may hurt you, but they will not harm you. True friends may hurt you, but they will not harm you. Is there a difference? I think so. When my oldest son played football, I kind of coached, helped coach on the sidelines. And sometimes, you know, football is kind of a violent sport. Every once in a while, kids get tangled up in a play and a tackle. And one or two of the kids get knocked down. Somebody always gets up and kind of limp back to the sidelines. It, it, and, and, I mean, kids are great at it. And they get back to the sideline, and, and sometimes even through tears, 
You know, the head coach would grab him on the face mask and he'd say this. He said, are you hurt or are you injured? Are you hurt or are you injured? What's the difference? Well, being hurt means that you're probably good to go in a couple minutes, right? I mean, I've been hurt. I've, I've been running and I've stepped in a hole and my ankle will, will, will give a little bit and it will hurt and I will have to stop. And, and what do you do? Well, you, you walk it off. And once the pain sort of subsides, you can kind of pick back up again. I was hurt, but I was not injured. Them boys on the sideline, they get hurt in a play. They sit out for a minute, get some water, get calmed down, got that breath knocked out of them. They catch their breath again. They got hurt. They didn't get injured. If they got injured, what's going to happen? Well, the trainer's going to come over and look at them. And sometimes if they're injured, they're going to go to the after-hours clinic right after the game and go see what the extent of the injury was because they got injured. There, there's something wrong. There's something broken. There's something damaged. Being hurt means you're probably good to go in a few minutes. Being injured means something totally different. Listen to this. Removing a blunt edge hurts. But it does not harm. Removing a blunt edge hurts, but it does not harm. In fact, listen, the hurt makes you better. The hurt makes you stronger. The hurt makes you more effective. Proverbs is not giving us license to go around being nasty with our words and walking around as uninvited critics. You don't get to go up to somebody and say, hey man, you're, that outfit you're wearing is just ugly. Anybody ever tell you that? And you don't get to look at them and say, well, I'm just sharpening iron. You don't get to do that. But if you've got a true friend that you can look in the eye and they can look you in the eye and say, hey, there's a problem here. It may hurt, but it does not harm. Proverbs is not giving us license to carelessly throw our words around without concern for others. But it is telling us that wounds from a godly friend who cares for us, those wounds are good for us. They may not make us happy, but in the long run, they are for our good. Again, who's our model? Let's look at Jesus. Jesus loved everybody well, right? Nobody, Jesus never encountered anybody that he did not love. Even his enemies, even his critics, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you would never say Jesus did not love those individuals. And sometimes he said words that hurt them. But he never once harmed them. He never once harmed them. He was honest with people. And the ones who didn't receive his honesty, well, what'd they do? They crucified him. If you're not helping to take the blunt edge off of your friends to make them sharper, you're not doing them any favors. A true friend will invariably hurt you with words that are respectful and true, but they are for your good, not for your harm. True friendship recognizes the need that we have to better one another for Christ. If I am your true friend, my chief goal is not to help you become a better golf player or help you run faster. My chief goal is to not help you get a better score in your video game or that we're playing. If I am your true friend in Christ, my chief goal is to help you love Jesus better. And we can go play golf and do all the things that friends do. 
We can go sit in a tree stand and not talk to each other all morning. Now, that's always been an interesting way to share friendship, go sit in tree stands and not talk to each other. We can do all the things that friends do, but my chief goal is not to help you get the, the big 12-point buck that's roaming around. My chief goal is to help you love Jesus better. It doesn't matter what other kinds of things we have in common if we don't get this right. Thirdly, real friends forgive. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. As you walk with Christ, one of the things you likely notice is that God doesn't bring up your past mistakes and embarrassments. If you say, if you confess your sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And so when I read that, I have to think that, that when God looks at my sins, my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so it's not in God's character to continue to dangle my past mistakes and past sins in front of me. Because according to God, my sins have been washed away by Jesus' blood. They've been covered by his blood. And so God doesn't dangle those past mistakes and embarrassments in front of us. In fact, if you hear in your head reminders of your past mistakes, that's not Jesus talking. There is someone else who's called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, who's very proficient at dangling our past failures and past mistakes in front of us. We talked about this some last week as well, but when we keep a short list of wrongs, we are not only helping our emotional condition, we are helping to enhance our friendships as well. How many friendships do you have in your life that lie broken along your journey because of someone's unwillingness to forgive? How many people can you think of right now that you haven't talked to in months or years because of an offense that wasn't that serious, it wasn't just a sinful mess. It was a disagreement or a crossword, a difference of opinion. It could be very good healing for your soul to send them a Facebook message this afternoon. I'm kidding. Pick up the phone and call them. Sit down with pen and paper and write them a letter. Be good for your soul. Be good for the reconciliation. Don't be like the, the gossip in this proverb there that, uh, that, that, that likes to, to dismember and dismantle friendships. Don't be the one who, who wants to continually drag mistakes out in front of people, who wants to separate those close friends. Don't be like that. Nobody wants or needs that in their life. Nobody wants that or needs that in their marriage. Nobody wants it in their friendships. I'm not proud of my mistakes, but I am thankful for the lessons that God has taught me through my mistakes. Not proud of my shortcomings and errors. But I believe this. If I've dealt with my mistakes and shortcomings with the Lord, if I've sought forgiveness from the people I've offended, I don't want those former things brought before me in accusatory tones by a friend. Now, I especially don't want pseudo-friends telling other people about my errors. Again, the Lord becomes our model. He has covered all our sins with his blood. He has taken our sin upon himself, and he has replaced our sin with his righteousness, and the Bible says our sins have been removed from us. And if we believe that, there ought to be real-world consequences for how we relate to one another. Finally, true friends understand the nature of sacrifice, which brings us back to where we started. 
Jesus not only modeled for us what true friendship looks like on a day-to-day basis, he showed the true friendship of his actions on the cross. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. True friendship understands the nature of sacrifice. And it's appropriate that we end this way on this Memorial Day weekend. Yesterday we drove past a national cemetery there in Chattanooga, reminded yet again of the cost of our freedoms, the countless men and women who paid the ultimate price to preserve and to protect the freedoms that we hold dear. Showing for us that great love, that willingness to lay down life for friends that in so many cases are unnamed and unknown. Jesus showed us this in the way that he gave his life, that we might be declared friends of God. May we understand that friendship requires sacrifice. Friendship requires effort. Friendship always comes with a cost, but it's worth it each and every day. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs and how it speaks to our conditions and situations, especially in matters of friendship. Lord, I pray that we might be good friends, godly friends, and that we would make it our goal to help see that the people that we are close to are not good golfers, aren't good gamers, but are good, godly, God-fearing men and women. If I can't help my friends walk closer to Jesus, if I can't point my friends in the direction of the cross, I'm not a very good friend. And so, Lord, may, we, may I look at my life and the relationships I have in my life And may I evaluate each one. And if I'm not being pointed to Jesus by someone who's further along the road than I am, then may I be pointing them to Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we look at our life, and and maybe our life has got a, a long list of damaged and broken friendships that we have we've we've harbored because of unforgiveness unwillingness to look past past mistakes or lack of trust may we today begin to do work in that regard maybe there's someone today that we need to reach out to someone that we need to send a letter to someone that we need to have a conversation with someone that we need to just look in the eye and genuinely say I'm sorry I forgive you Let's go get coffee. Let's talk. In the silence of these moments, Lord, would you put those names in our hearts? Call to our memories. Those friends that we need to to rekindle and revisit. Thank you most of all for the friend who sticks closer with a brother. That even if all of heaven and earth should turn its back on us, 
and even if those who are closest to us would forsake us. There is one who knows us and loves us and cares for us in a way that is almost incomprehensible to us. Thank you for Jesus. Who bridged the gap between God and man, who took us as who were enemies of the, of the cross and made us friends. And who walks with us every single day. Who never leaves us, who never abandons us, who never turns his back on us yet who is always honest with us and who wants to see us grow more and more in his image every day. Thank you for Jesus. If there's any here today that do not have this friend in Jesus, they have not put their faith and trust in Christ as the Savior of their sin, the one who would forgive them for their, their flaws, the one who took their place on the cross. Would you on this day draw them to yourself that they might find you and become friends? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.